Last month we came out of a, a series on evidence, where especially last week we talked about evidence for the Creator and how uh, the creation, the world around us, speaks to the Creator and the evidence of God. And um, it's kind of appropriate that after thinking about sort of these big thoughts, these big ideas about who God is as the Creator, uh, that now we move into uh, a few weeks talking about how to connect with Him, how to relate to Him, uh, how to um, foster that relationship with Creator God. Charles Spurgeon uh, said this about prayer. He said, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. As you think about prayer, you know, we've prayed prayers, a few prayers already this morning. And, uh, you know, prayer is more than just talking. Uh, prayer is more than just thinking thoughts. Uh, prayer is actually a spiritual connection. So it's our spirit connecting with God's spirit and fostering that connection. And so prayer is kind of the means to connect with God. And so it's, uh, um, it's appropriate to ask this question, you know, how do we pray? Uh, Lord, teach us to pray. Followers of Jesus are praying people, and so it is something that we should spend some time thinking about and spend some time learning about and developing. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Um, it's a pretty amazing thought that the God of the universe de desires to meet with you and meet with me, uh, and that we can do that through prayer. A.B. Simpson, who is the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, he says this. He says that prayer is the link that connects us to God. Prayer is the link that connects us to God. So let's talk about how we can connect with the creator of the universe. Uh, I want to show you a few pictures that kind of touched my heart as I was thinking about this topic and the, the subject of prayer. Uh, I was reminded back to this past fall, back in September, uh, we took about 30 students uh, on a youth retreat. We took them out to Southern Alberta Bible Camp, uh, which isn't too far from here. And uh, so we took them out there to have a lot of fun. We had some games and activities and uh, just enjoyed sort of camp life, did some camping activities. And, uh, but we also had some more serious times, or spiritual times, if you want to call it that, uh, where we talked about God's heart for our students, how he desires, uh, how he pursues us, how he comes after us and, and seeks us and wants to have a relationship with us, and then how we can respond back by seeking him. So there's a few pictures here. Uh, the first one is me talking, which I just, as I'm talking, realize that I, I talk with my hands kind of like this. i got to spread myself out more. Uh, but anyways, there's me uh, kind of wrapping up our weekend as we're talking about God's uh, desire to, con to connect with us and sort of the encouragement to the students to, uh, to pursue him and to seek him. And so we had communion together. And then the next slide, you'll see a couple of our students uh, uh, out at the picnic tables there. So we sent our students out after that session and said, go and spend some time uh, with God. These two girls didn't want to go too far away from each other, I guess. But we told them, no talking, this is quiet time, and, uh, and go and spend some time with God. And so the next slide shows uh, a few more, uh, sort of a couple more girls there in this courtyard. We had this kind of fort area, which was literally built up like a fort. It's pretty cool. Uh, the next slide got uh, Joshua up, ready to jump off the, the wall. I should have been paying attention to where he went because like, he was up there pretty high. And now that I see that picture, I realize he was kind of in danger there. But, uh, but he was off alone, spending time with God. And then the next picture, we've got uh, one of our girls on the deck there. And uh, so we had sent all these students out to just go and be alone with God. It was pretty cool to see teenagers you know, willing to spend their time doing stuff like that. 
um, pretty cool to see that there's teenagers among us who have a desire to connect with God and uh, be in relationship with Him. And then the next slide, uh, we marched up this hill. There's a, a cross at the top. You can barely see it. Uh, but again, we said, don't talk to each other. Let's just silently walk up there and just keep talking to God as you're going. So we walked up this hill, and then the next slide, we gathered kind of around at the cross there and just spent some time praying together as a group. Uh, just kind of a neat uh, end to the weekend. And so I share those with you just to say that, um, you know, prayer is something that we all need to learn about, we need to grow in. Uh, hopefully maybe that motivates you when you say, hey, the teenagers are willing to grow in their relationship with God, and, and, that, and hopefully we would have that same desire as well. And so that's what we're going to do is, uh, is dive right into the Lord's Prayer and invite the Lord to teach us how to pray. So we're going to look at the book of Luke. Uh, there's a couple of different accounts where we find the Lord's Prayer, and to, this morning we're going to look at the passage in Luke. So it's Luke chapter 11, and I'm just going to read verses 1 to 4, which is uh, a little bit shortened version compared to probably the Lord's Prayer that you've either memorized or that we just saw uh, being dramatized for us earlier. But let me just read this uh, from the New International Version. Uh, which if they had used that in a skit earlier might have helped uh, eliminate some of the questions that were being asked. Uh, just saying a little more modern English here. But anyways, uh, Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Let me just pause and, and we'll invite Jesus to speak to us from his word this morning. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your life and your example. Uh, we thank you for the, this disciple who asked that you would teach us how to pray. And so we invite you this morning and in the coming weeks to, to teach us that, to, to help us connect with God through prayer. And so this morning, by your Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, uh, help us to hear what you have to say, help us to receive it, and to be able to apply uh, your word to our life. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to focus just on the first two verses this morning of this prayer. And I want to start by asking the question, how did Jesus pray? How did Jesus pray? As we see his disciples, uh, this one disciple in particular, it says in verse 1, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This disciple had just witnessed Jesus praying. And, uh, and it's something that the disciples would have witnessed throughout Jesus' life and ministry. They saw him pray often. Uh, so how did Jesus pray? So I want to just kind of do a bit of an overview really quickly of the book of Luke. And we could look at all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the accounts of Jesus' life. Um, but this morning, since we're in Luke, we'll just kind of stick to the book of Luke. But what do we see about how Jesus prayed? So one observation that I would make is that Jesus prayed in the ordinary moments of life. Prayer was a regular habit of his. It was a priority, and it showed up often. In Luke 4, verse 42, uh, that verse talks about Jesus uh, retreating at daybreak to a solitary place where he could spend time in prayer. 
And interesting about that passage is that it's the, at the crack of dawn, Jesus gets up and he goes off by himself so that he can pray. But the day before was a very busy day in the life of Jesus. That day before, he was preaching and teaching in the synagogue. He was uh, driving out demons from demon-possessed people. He was healing people of physical disease and ailments, and so much so that crowds of people started swarming to Jesus. And so that late into the night, he was healing people and doing ministry. So it was like a really full, busy day. And then the next day, before verse 42, he gets up at the crack of dawn. He goes off by himself to pray. Prayer was a priority part of the, the rhythm of Jesus' life. Luke 5, verse 16 says, He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 9, verse 18 says, Once when he was, in, uh, sorry, once when he, he was praying in private, and then he went on, his disciples found him. And Luke 11, verse 1, our passage, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. It seems very common that Jesus prayed. It was a part of his regular rhythm. It was a part of his life that in the ordinary moments, just day after day, Jesus would spend time praying. But we also see in the book of Luke that Jesus didn't just pray in the ordinary moments. He also prayed in the big moments, you know, times of decision or critical times, uh, kind of the, the high points of his life and his ministry. We see that Jesus is praying. In Luke 3, verse 21, uh, that uh, is the record of Jesus' baptism. So Jesus had gone out into the river and he found, uh, the, he found John, uh, John the Baptist, and he said, John, I need you to baptize me. And so at his baptism, it says that while he was praying, the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus as a dove. And then the Father spoke, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we have kind of this dramatic event taking place at Jesus' baptism, all in the midst of Jesus praying. His baptism was the beginning of his ministry, and uh, so it's a significant moment, a big moment. In Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus is faced with a big decision. He's got to select 12 people that are going to be his disciples, his apostles. And these disciples would spend the next three years with Jesus. He would invest his life in them. He would train them and equip them to carry on the Jesus movement after Jesus ascended to heaven. So in Luke chapter 6, it says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and he spent the entire night in prayer, talking to the Father about who these individuals should be, that he should select as his disciples. Again, it was a critical moment, a critical decision that Jesus was facing, and he spent the entire night in prayer. In Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 29, it's like Jesus, uh, the moment of his transfiguration, uh, again, he went up on a mountain, and he invited, he invited three of his disciples to join him. And while he was praying, it says that his appearance changed. Uh, the glory of God uh, transformed his appearance in front of his disciples. And again, just kind of this big moment in Jesus' life. Before Jesus went to the cross, in Luke chapter 22, he invited, again, some of his disciples to go with him to pray. They retreated to a garden, and he said to his disciples to pray against temptation. You know, this kind of big moment is coming. This is what, life, what his life and ministry was all leading to, was going to the cross. And he knew that they would be tempted. And so he invited his disciples to pray against temptation. And then Jesus went off even further by himself and wrestled with God the Father. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. You know, kind of this wrestling match of, of whether or not to go through with the path of suffering, the path of the cross. 
Again, a big moment, and Jesus spent time in prayer. And then literally on the cross, Jesus prayed for the crowds of people who had put him on the cross. He prayed that the Father would forgive them. And then his very last breath, he says at his last breath, he says, Father, um, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. His final breath was a prayer. So we can see that in Jesus' life, prayer was a, a huge priority. It was a pattern. It was a rhythm in his life. He prayed in the ordinary moments and in the big moments. And his disciples would have noticed his prayer life. And so that's probably what triggered this question in Luke 11, verses 1. What is it about your prayer life that we need to learn? The disciples would have seen Jesus retreat often. The disciples would have seen that God's power often was demonstrated through Jesus' life after he had spent time in prayer. The, di the, the disciples would have seen that Jesus relied on his Father for guidance and direction, and that because he spent time with the Father, he knew what was to come next. He knew where to go next. He knew what people to reach out to. And so all of this was attractive to them. And so they invited Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so hopefully as we look at Jesus' life, maybe we're drawn ourselves to say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. If you are the example of what, you know, what life is supposed to look like for us, how can we pray like you? And so then Jesus gives them this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, or some might call it the Disciples' Prayer, because it was given to the disciples to help them learn how to pray. So what do we see in this? We see that Jesus taught us to pray to our Heavenly Father. And we're just going to talk about that uh, for a few minutes here this morning, and we're not going to go any further into this prayer. But what happens in Luke uh, 11, verse 2, he says to them, Jesus responds, when you pray, say, Father. He invites his disciples to draw near to God in a relational term. He uses uh, a relational invitation to say, uh, come to the Father. When you pray, you're, you're talking to your heavenly Father. And that's where he starts. So let's talk about this a bit. What does it mean for us to approach our heavenly Father? So again, let's look at Jesus' example with the Father. You know, we talk about Jesus' prayer life. What was going on in those times of prayer? Jesus prayed in the ordinary moments and in the big moments. It was a pattern. What was happening between him and the Father? Well, the first thing we see is that he made time to be with his Father. In any relationship, if you're going to invest in a relationship, you're probably going to want to spend time with that person. And so Jesus, in order to invest in that relationship with his Father, he, he carves out time to be with his Heavenly Father. And then in that time, we see that Jesus communicated with his Father. And most of us would know that communication kind of is a two-way street, right? There's talking and there's listening. If you're in a relationship with somebody and, you know, one person's talking and the other person's listening, then communication isn't happening. Uh, there was a few Winnipeg Jets fans in the first service and kind of pointed them out, you know, and said, when you're watching the game later today and your wife starts talking to you, you know, just because she's talking doesn't mean you're communicating if you're fixed on the game on TV, right? Some of you guys might know what I'm talking about with that. Uh, communication involves two ways, talking and listening. And in Jesus' relationship with the Father, we see that he spoke to his Father, but he also listened to him. He gave the Father time to speak. And he listened and responded. In John chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, it talks about Jesus doing only what the Father shows me. You know, that's what I'll do. And there's this sense that Jesus is listening for the direction of the Father. 
so that he can do the things that he's asking him to do. So for us, as we learn to pray to our Heavenly Father, we can look at Jesus and his example and say, you know, are we spending time with him? Are we carving out time to be with our Father? And are we actually communicating with him? This thing on my nose has had me talking to the Father a lot. And sometimes I catch myself saying, I'm doing the talking. Maybe the Father wants to speak to me about what's going on with my body, what's going on with this. Um, and whatever the circumstance might be, often we rush to God and we have this list of things that we want to talk to him about. But we also need to give him space to speak back to us, just like Jesus did. So we can learn from Jesus' example, but we can also learn from Jesus' teaching. Throughout the book of Luke, he teaches about the Father and who the Father is. And if we're going to come to the Father and approach him as our Heavenly Father, it makes sense that we might want to know a little bit about who it is that we're talking to. Who is it that we're drawing near to? And so if we look in, in Luke and Jesus' teaching, we actually see uh, some teaching right here in this passage, if you go a little bit further. So after Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, he goes on and he tells a story about a, a friend needing bread, and he goes to this other friend and tells them this story. And then uh, he comes to verse 11, and he uses this illustration of fathers. And he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You know, I didn't serve up scorpions for breakfast. You know. Good dads don't do that. Um, so he says, if you fathers know how to give good things to your gifts, he says in verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is teaching us about the Father, and the heart of the Father here is that the Father is better than any earthly father. Our Heavenly Father is perfect. His love is perfect. His provision is perfect. And when we come to him, he wants to take care of us. He wants to provide us for us. He loves us. Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus is, is talking to some people, some teaching, and in the middle of that he says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He's pointing to his Father in heaven. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Luke 12, verses 22 to 32, Jesus is uh, again talking to some uh, disciples and a crowd there, and he's saying, do not worry about the things, you know, what you will eat, what you will wear, do not worry about these things. And he says, consider the birds of the air. You know, God your Father takes care of them. He provides food for the birds. And he says, how much more valuable are you to your Father than these birds? We matter to Father God. He has a desire to take care of us, and that's where Jesus goes on, and he says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. The Father loves us. The Father is merciful. The Father wants to provide for us. We matter to the Father, and uh, we're valuable to him. Excuse me, this is driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm really cautious about blowing my nose these days, if you might wonder that. And uh, anyways, okay. Moving on. What else do we learn about the Father? In Luke 15, Jesus is telling a couple stories about lost things, and then he gets to this famous story that maybe a lot of us have heard, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. And in this story, what happens is there's this dad, and he's got two kids, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son comes to the, to the father, and he says, uh, I want my portion of the estate. Basically, I want my inheritance. And in that day, basically what he's saying is, even though you're still alive, you're dead to me. 
I want what belongs to me so that I can go on and live my life. That's kind of what the request was of this younger son. And so this father, because he loves his kids, he, he actually gives uh, this younger son the request. He gives him his portion of the estate and the, inher the inheritance. And this younger son goes off, and it says in the passage there that he, he spent the, the wealth on wild living. So you can just kind of imagine, you know, what's up with this younger son? He just wants to do whatever he wants to do, and he's going to spend all the money that he's just gotten from his dad on this wild lifestyle. And it says that eventually he ran out of money, and then there was a famine in the land. And so in the famine, he found that he was in need, he needed some food, and so he went and got a job. And his job was in a pig pen. And it says that he was feeding the pigs in this pig pen, and, and he actually longed for the food that he was giving the pigs. So he was really at the end of his rope. He had run out of money, he was all alone, he was far from his family, far from his father, and he's wanting to eat the slop that he's feeding these pigs. So it says that this son comes to his senses, and he says, my father has many servants, and, and he provides for them, he takes care of them. He says, maybe I should go back to my dad and say, I am not worthy of being your son anymore, but would you hire me back as a servant? And so he comes up with this plan to basically go back and apologize to his dad on the hopes that maybe his dad would have mercy and hire him back. He's not even asking to be part of the family. And so the son makes his way home. And in the story, as Jesus is telling it, he says that the father is waiting. He sees his son coming from a distance. And when he sees his son, he actually runs to his son. He embraces him. And his son goes into his speech, you know, Dad, I'm sorry, I messed up, I spent all the money, uh, I'm not worthy to, to be called your son, would you please hire me as one of your servants? And the father shocks the son, and he says, he welcomes him, he hugs him, he brings him in, he says, servants, bring the, the best robe and put it on my son, bring the family ring and put it on his finger as a statement to say that he belongs to the family, that no matter how far away he went, we will welcome him back. And he's, he doesn't stop there. He says to his servants, go and invite the rest of the town to come and gather, and we're going to kill the fattened calf that's been prepared for some feast. We're going to have that feast tonight. We're going to throw a party for this son. Because this son of mine who was once lost, who was once dead, has now been found. He's now alive, and this father welcomes him back. It's a shocking story, because what you would expect is for this father to sort of you know, bear out his disappointment in this younger son. But instead, we see a father who welcomes this boy back, welcomes him into the family, reinstates him, and says, you know, I'm so glad that you returned. Welcome home. The picture in this story is that, that that's what our Heavenly Father is like. No matter how far we go, no matter what we've done, no matter how unworthy we feel, we matter to him. And when we come back and, you know, and apologize and say, you know what, I messed up, I'm sorry, the Father actually welcomes us back. He says, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. You were once lost. You were once dead. But now you've been found. Now you are alive. Our Heavenly Father is defined by love. He loves us more than we can really imagine, more than we can grasp you think of the most loving person you know, and our Heavenly Father is that much more loving over us. The scriptures say that he lavishes his love on his children. This is the Father that we're approaching in prayer. When we come to him, 
when we carve out that time to be alone with him and we invite him in and we say, Father, I want to come into your presence, we're coming into the presence of the perfect, most loving Father that we can imagine. So on that note, let's talk about our relationship with the Father. What does it actually look like for us to enter into this relationship, to, to spend time with the Father? So the first thing that we need to address is that our relationship with the Father starts with Jesus. Our relationship with the Father starts with Jesus. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came, came to this earth, came to the world, and to those who received Jesus and believed in his name, they've been given the right to be called children of God. So if you want to know if you're one of God's children, if you want to know if you belong to the Father, you need to start by asking, have I received Jesus? Have I put my faith in him? If I've received Jesus in my life, if you've received Jesus in your life, you are a child of God. You are one of his sons, you are one of his daughters. You belong to him. So our relationship with the Father starts with Jesus. Another thing we need to address as we consider our relationship with our Heavenly Father is this reality that all of us have earthly fathers. Some of us have enjoyed the relationship with our earthly fathers. Some of us, not so much. Some of us, maybe even stronger negative you know, experiences. We've all had earthly fathers, and our experience and our picture of a father has been tainted by our experience with our earthly father. I have a great dad, but there's been things in our relationship that I've had to work through in order to experience a good relationship with my heavenly father. My children will be tainted by me as an example of a dad, and at some point they'll have to work through that in relationship with their heavenly father. We've all been impacted by our earthly fathers. And so we just need to address that and say, uh, recognize that that reality exists. As we approach our Heavenly Father, that relationship has been impacted by our earthly Father. So some of you, if you've had great experiences, hopefully that will lead you into an even greater relationship with your Heavenly Father. Some of you have maybe gone through some challenges. Maybe some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been neglected, rejected. Some of you have gone through tragic things, horrible things with your dads. It's worth paying attention to those things as you come to your Heavenly Father. As we desire to relate to Him, we're going we're to have to work through some of that stuff from our relationship with our earthly Father. And we could have a whole counseling session on what that means for us. But just, I want to identify that and throw it out there and say, if that is you, don't leave that alone. Work through the stuff from your past. Work through the stuff from the present in your relationship with your dad so that you can experience the fullness of relationship with our Heavenly Father. Don't let your earthly experience taint the reality of the Heavenly experience that God desires to have with you. So if you need to explore that more, please talk to somebody. Talk to one of us pastors, talk to a friend, talk to a life group leader. Uh, let us know how we can help you journey through some of that stuff. So our relationship with the Father starts with Jesus. We have to recognize the impact of our earthly fathers. Then we need to live in this reality of being God's child. What does it mean to be a child of God? And how do we relate to the Father? So I want to just tell a story and kind of talk about that. 
a month or two ago, I was out in the lobby and was talking to a few people. I was talking to my wife and uh, a couple other people were there. And I noticed a little guy, his name is Nathan, and this little guy was walking towards the stairs. And just in front of Nathan was a group of kids that kind of ran ahead of him, ran up the stairs. And uh, his brother was in that group and some of his cousins and a couple of other kids. And, and you can see Nathan, who's one and a half at this time. Uh, he's kind of toddling up to these stairs and saw these kids run away on him. And he wanted to join them. But he's one and a half, he's little, and he can barely make it upstairs, right? So he's standing at the bottom of the stairs, just kind of, you know, looking at all these kids who just ran away, and they're all yelling and screaming and having a great time, and he wants to join up with them. And so this little one and a half girl, what do I do? And he's kind of standing there, frozen. So I'm just at, outside that door, and I can see him at the bottom of the stairs as I'm talking. Uh, his mom was in this group that I was talking to, and so I decided to leave the group I was talking to, and I walked over to Nathan, and... And I said, Nathan, you know, how's it going? And he's just kind of looking up the stairs, doesn't even acknowledge that I'm there. So I could just tell he wanted to follow the, the, the group. Now, Nathan's got a great dad. I'm not trying to play the role of dad in Nathan's life here in this story. Uh, he doesn't need another dad. I was kind of like this father figure that happened to show up at the right time in that moment. And so as I'm, you know, kind of trying to connect with Nathan, you know, hey, Nathan, you want to join them? And he's just kind of like standing there. You can hear the kids having lots of fun. And so I reached out my hand and said, do you want to go upstairs? And so he reached up his hand and grabbed mine, and we walked up the stairs together. I, I helped him up, right, because he was too little to get there by himself. And what I see in that picture as I was kind of reliving that event in my mind and as I'm telling it right now, there's a few things that we can glean from that in this idea of what it means to relate to Father God. Nathan, uh, as a child there, was kind of stuck at the bottom of the stairs in a bit of a dilemma. I want to get there, but I'm not really sure how I'm going to get there. And some of us, like Nathan, might be standing at the, the bottom of a set of stairs this morning. You know, some circumstance that we're facing ahead of us. Maybe it's some destination we want to get to. Maybe it's some crisis that we're facing. Maybe it's some event that's just happened and we're just not sure how to process that. And like Nathan, we're, we're looking for help. And then Father God comes along. And I'm not trying to play the role of God in this story either. It just kind of works out that way, I guess. As I'm telling it, it sounds kind of awkward. But anyways, um, Father God comes along. And he reaches out his hand to his children. He says, do you want to put your hand in mine? Do you need some help? Can I lead you up these stairs? Can I guide you? Can I give you the strength to actually, you know, get up those stairs, whatever the stairs represent for you? So this morning we're all kind of like Nathan. And a couple questions maybe to ask would be, are you willing to trust your Heavenly Father with whatever that staircase represents for you? Are you willing to trust Him? You know, Nathan could have looked at me and said, stranger danger, run away, and, you know, I don't know this person. Because that's what good parents do. They teach their children not to talk to them. He knows who I am. So it's all good. But he could have chosen to run away, right? And some of us here this morning, Father God's giving you the invitation to reach out. Some of us might reject that. Some of us might turn away and say, no, I'm not willing to trust you. But as a child of God, are you willing to trust God with the staircase, whatever that is? Are you willing to pursue him? Nathan actually reached up his hand to grab mine. As, a, as an, uh, an act of trust. He put his hand in mine. He pursued me as I pursued him. 
And then there was like there was physical touch that happened. There was intimacy there. I, I held Nathan's hand. I, I helped him up the stairs. And there was a, an intimate connection between us. And God the Father, you know, he doesn't just want to give you directions for your life. He wants to intimately walk with you. And so he's reaching out his hand this morning. Are you willing to reach out your hand back to him? To put your trust in him? To let him guide you? To let him give you whatever the resources are that you need? You know, coming back to Luke 11, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit is, is everything we need. So prayer is about relationship with God. We approach Him as Father. Father is a relational term. He's a relational God. He wants to be in relationship with us. Will you reach out to Him this morning? I used that quote from A.B. Simpson earlier. Prayer is the link that connects us to God. And this morning, maybe we want to think about that, kind of reworded. Prayer is the link that connects us to Father God. Will you come to the Father this morning? Will you trust Him? Will you pursue Him? Will you reach out to Him? Why don't we stand together and let me just pray as the worship team comes up and they're going to lead us in some songs of response and songs of worship. Let me just pray. Let's stand. Jesus, we, just, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your example of what it means to live a life of prayer. We thank you for your invitation to come to the Father. And so, Father God, we come to you this morning. We invite you to heal any hurts from the past or the present that maybe have impacted our relationship with you. We invite you to speak to us about the things that are going on in our hearts and lives. We invite you to help us to identify what are the staircases in front of us that we're facing these days. And how can we reach out to you and experience you and lean into you in these days. We know by your word that you are reaching out to us, that you desire to journey with us and walk with us. You desire to pour out your love into our hearts and lives. Help us to receive from you this morning.